0: You have a Bible, Genesis 28 is going to be our text tonight. We're going to be turning to 1 Samuel in a little bit. We're going to start out, though, in Genesis 28. Uh, uh, don't have a screen to put this on there, so we're going to have to start out in Genesis. and then. But we will end up in 1 Samuel. We're still in our 1 Samuel study, uh, and that'll, uh, that'll that'll all make sense in just a little bit. So if there's one thing that reading the Bible has taught me, as I read through the Bible again and again and again and read through some stories more than others, but if there's one thing that the Bible has taught me or reading the Bible has taught me is that when I'm reading one chapter, I kind of already know what's going to happen on the next page because I've read it before right we, we've talked about this um, sometimes there's those crucial moments where the people in the story in real time don't realize what's on the line that you're reading the story of, uh, of Abraham the story of Moses the story of David and you know what's gonna happen next you know that hey the you know Abrahams gonna gonna face a, a crucial decision uh, to the next day but the decision he made today might not seem like a big deal but it was a big deal yeah mo- tomorrow Moses is gonna have to stand in front of the Red Sea and 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 let God part the waters, but his preparation the day before was important to, to get him to that place. So we know what's going to happen on the next page, most likely, if we've read the Bible a few times. So we know what's on the line, even though if the people in the story didn't know what was on the line, we know there's some pivotal, pivotal things um, uh, at play if someone does this or they don't do this so it's kind of like when you're watching a movie that you've watched before or even if you've never seen the movie before we've watched enough movies that we can kind of tell when something big's about to happen you know there's that middle of the movie where things are kind of quiet or there's a lot of things building up and you can kind of think you can kind of predict it hey in the next 10 minutes something's going to happen that's going to change the the tone of the movie it's going to shift the plot something bad's going to happen something good's going to happen somebody's going to come into the scene that we didn't expect but you can kind of predict it. You, you've, you've watched enough um, and you've read enough. You kind of know how the story moves and how the narration goes in and out. So when you think back, uh, you, you might would you might you know think hey it's a good thing they did this or a good thing she did that because that set them up for that moment, for that big crucial moment. So to bring all this into our own lives, we've all lived enough we've all lived enough to know that things are connected, uh, in that today impacts tomorrow, and that a decision you make today that might not seem like a big deal, a decision you make today actually carries a whole lot more weight than it may seem. Um, So to put all this shortly uh, and, and succinctly, there's always something on the line, whether it's obvious or not. There's always something on the line. So even if it's not obvious, we shouldn't really need this reminder. Uh, there's always something on the line. So uh, this is why every prayer that we pray is important. It's why every devotion, every Bible study we do, privately or in a group, is important. It's why every church service is so very important. But, so before we get into our text in Samuel tonight, I, I want to I wanna run another passage by you that I think we're pretty familiar with. It's in Genesis 28, and it's a story of Jacob. Jacob, the, the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham, the future uh, Israel, he's gonna get a name change in a little while, uh, but at this point, He's not Israel at this point he's just Jacob and Jacob the name you're familiar Jacob means deceiver and Jacob is at his most deceiving at his most deceptive Jacob is at his most crafty in this point in the story Jacob has just pulled one over on his brother Esau and he's now running for his life Jacob worked with his mom to deceive his dad Isaac to get the family blessing to get the family birthright uh, and that was at the expense of his older brother. The rightful heir, Esau. So Jacob, Jacob pulls that off. Esau vows revenge, and then their mom tells Jacob, "Honey, I, I helped you get this, but you're on your own now. Uh, I, I helped you steal it, but you got to fend for yourself now." So she then encourages him. This is probably not what he thought was going to happen. He, he steals the birthright. His, his mother, who was there, you know, kind of help, helping to plot all this together, uh, she says, "Honey, you might want to leave town for a little while." So this is not how Jacob thought this was going to go. Hey, I'm going to get the blessing. I'm going to get the birthright. I'm going to be the ruler of the tribe. No, you better get out of town for a little while. You should head back, uh, head to where I'm from. His mother's talking. You should head to my homeland, which is Aram or Syria. So several hundred miles north of Israel, north of Judea, uh, Jacob is on the run. And, and Esau is plotting. Esau is talking to people that he's friends with. He is trying to track Jacob down. A price is on Jacob's head. So Jacob is trying to run uh, as fast as he can, and he's going way out of the way, off the path, so that he's not, not uh, detected. So while he's on the run, across many, many days, Jacob realizes he needs some rest. Not just physically, but Jacob thinks, you know what? I need to stop. I need to pray. I need to talk to God. I need to get... I, I, I feel as lost as I could ever be. I need to get my head on my shoulders, and I need to get my heart in the right place. So uh, we're going to jump into the story on that note. uh, And there's something really key at play in this story that maybe you've never paid attention to. uh, And hopefully we can bring your attention to that tonight. So Genesis chapter 28, verse number 10 is where we're jumping in to the story. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and toward Haran or toward Syria. So he came to a certain place. You should underline that phrase. He came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. He took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he lay down in that place. So he's just using the rock as a pillow. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to the heavens, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending." And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of, your, of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north, to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth will be or shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you whatever, wherever you go and bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done which I have spoken to you or promised to you. Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. There is none other, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven, the door of heaven. Now, back in verse number 11, we're told this is just a random place. That phrase certain place just means just a place on the side of the road. Nothing spiritual about this place. It wasn't a temple, it wasn't a church. It wasn't a place where people gathered for worship. This was just a rest stop. This is just a hey, I'm going to take this exit ramp and there's no there's no stores here, there's no hotels here, there's no churches here. If you've been on the interstate before and you're trying to find a place to rest for a little while, you've been on those kind of stretches before. There's there's exits, but there's nothing there. There's there's the sign that says, "Hey, you know, establishments or places you can find rest at." There's none of them. So Jacob says, Hey, I'm tired. I need to pray. I need to rest. I've got to find somewhere. So he just says, You know what? I'm not going to, you know, I'm I'm off the beaten path. I'm not going to find a rest stop anywhere soon. I'm not going to get a gas station or a hotel or a restaurant. I just got to stop here. And little did he know that that place, that certain place, was where God would show up, where God would speak to him. And again, verse 17, he says, how awesome is this place, this ordinary, nondescript place. This is where God showed up. So do you see the gravity of this? Do you understand that what Jacob is trying to teach us or what God is trying to teach us from this word? Jacob says in verse 16, surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it because he would have had no way of knowing it. Does that make sense? There was no sign saying God is here. There was no church sign. There was no sanctuary sign. There was no big billboard that said, hey, God's going to be here. It was just an average uh, run-of-the-mill rest stop, side of the road, hey, stop here in case you're too sleepy to go any farther. And it's in that place. That God came to Jacob, and God, God was honest with Jacob. Jacob, hey, you kind of made a mess out of your situation. You didn't, you didn't wait on me to give you the blessing, so you took the blessing. Now you're going to be on the run for about 20 years is how long it ends up being. But don't worry, Jacob. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to fulfill my word to you. Just trust me. Now, had Jacob not stopped at this certain place and not gave this time to God... He would have never had that assurance. And and years later, after Jacob's been on the run for 20 years, lived in Haran for 20 years, God says to Jacob in Genesis 35, go back to that certain place. Now, Jacob's going to call it in verse 18 or verse 19. Jacob calls that place Bethel, which is just house house of God. Beth means house, El is short for God. Jacob calls it house of God because God met him there. Again, there wasn't a temple there. There wasn't a sanctuary there. There weren't anything, anything there at all. It was just a rest stop with a couple of rocks that he made a, 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 a monument out of. And God says to Jacob, go back there because just like I talked to you then, I'm going to talk to you again. And, and the moral of the story is you just never know. You just never know where God's going to show up, and we have to be prepared, and we have to be always seeking Him, because He's not always going to show up in the church service. He's not always going to show up when you expect Him to, when you want Him to. Sometimes He shows up, and sometimes He leads you and calls you to do certain things in certain places that you would have not predicted, that you would have not even you know, intended or you know, desired it to work out that way. So my prayer as, as I teach God's Word is to always encourage us to be sensitive to what God might be saying at any given time. To be sensitive to what God might be up, to, what God might be going to reveal to us. But we will not hear from God if we're not listening. Right? That's that's pretty pretty easy to to, to put that together. If we're not listening, we're not going to hear. If we're not looking, we're not going to find. If we're not seeking out, we're not going to discover. Again, they're, they're, that's that requirement on our end to do our part, to be open, to be sensitive, to be eager and watchful and aware. You know, as a, as a pastor, you know, my job is to, to teach God's Word, and God's Word is always speaking. God's Word has something to say to every one of you. And the beauty of God's Word is that God's Word can talk to all of us about a subject that we all need to hear about, but He also can use that same text to talk to all of us individually about something unique. So any given message that we gather for as a church, He may talk to every one of us about something that only pertains to us, yet He uses the same text and the same message to get to all of our hearts in unique ways. Sometimes He's talking to our church about something that we all need to hear as a corporate, as a corporate body, as a large body. But God is able to make all things make sense to all of us as unique and individual as we may be. But the good, the, the important thing is there that we're prepared, that we're listening, right? When we come into the Lord's house, are we expecting God to say something? Are we expecting God to teach us something? When you open the Bible, uh, again, that's the first step. When you open the Bible, are you anticipating God to speak to you? And, and, And we should never, we should never underestimate how God might speak and when God might speak and how he might show up and where he might show up. So we must always be prepared. We must always be open. We must always be watchful. Jesus taught that all the time. Be watchful be open, be mindful. We must be sensitive to the Lord. And here's why this matters in the grand scheme of life. In any given season of life that we may be facing, if we're going to follow God, if we're going to obey God, if we're going to come up against a challenge, a task, a decision, there's usually really only one right pathway to take. When we come up to a situation... and we have a decision to make, there's usually only one right decision to make. There's usually only one right path to take. As you would imagine, the right path isn't always the easiest path. It isn't always the most desirable path. It isn't always the obvious path, but God has a path. He always has a way. His Word shows us the way. So here's where God is leading us tonight, to a particular passage in First Samuel that I think is one of the more relevant chapters in the Bible that we could study. Uh, we already know the background. We already know the context preceding the point, uh, the the time of 1 Samuel. Um, Israel does not have a king, and it's not been going well for them, has it? Israel doesn't have a king. God was their king, but they didn't like the idea of God being their king because God wanted to get involved in their personal lives. God wanted to tell them what to do with their money, their time, their energy, their resources. So they wanted a king that they thought could they could basically you know elect him to do their bidding. Um, so they did not have a king and and until they made themselves a king they were just kind of wandering around in the dark they weren't pursuing god and they were just obeying themselves they were just doing what was right in their own eyes and because of that they began to bump into each other they began to to hurt each other and it was just a big mess um the Scripture tells us that uh, this, this period of, of Israel's history was corrupt. They were so lost, and the nation was just completely uh, uh, not just asleep at the wheel, but drunk at, at, at the wheel. And if you trace the story back and try to figure out um, you know what led to all this, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Because when they were traveling through the wilderness, God was so good to them. Y'all know the story. Moses parted the waters, or God used Moses to part the waters. God fed them from, with manna from heaven. God gave them water from a rock as they anywhere that they stopped there was water coming out of the ground there was quail that flew in out of due season there was a literal everything they needed God gave them a, a, a pillar of, of fire by night a cloud by day God was good to them every single day it was like he put them in his lap and he spoon, spoon fed them and he took care of them he was conditioning them to be sensitive to him He made it very clear to them, you've got to rely on me for everything. I will provide and you will survive, you will thrive, but you've got to trust in me. And he warned them. He warned them, when you get into the land, Y'all know the story. When you get into the land and you have houses you didn't build and wells you didn't dig and vineyards you didn't plant, when you get into the land and you move in and you are prospering and you are so happy and satisfied and content, you will forget me if you don't make a point and a habit to remember me. You know why the Bible says remember all the time? Because if we don't make a point to remember, we will naturally forget you know, we get annoyed when someone says, hey, don't forget, or hey, remember to do this. You know why they tell us that all the time? I know this, because I am, I am a forgetful person. Not because I'm, I'm, I'm mean to, because i got a lot going on, right? But you remind me to do something because you know, hey, he's going to forget. Not because he wants to, because he's prone to, right? You remind your husband, your wife, your kids, because they forget. Not because they're mean, or they're, they're careless, or they're heartless. Because they just forget. That's what people do. We forget it. So what does God tell the children of Israel? If you go read it in Deuteronomy 6, 7, 8, it goes all through the, the, the book of Deuteronomy. Be careful lest you forget the Lord when you move in to the land that he gave you. Sure enough, guess what happens? They move into the land, they settle it, and they forget they drift. And, and eventually, they set, they set up the tabernacle. They have this nice, beautiful place of worship in Shiloh. They, 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 they have it all funded. They have priests. They have all the things they needed, all the people they needed. But they quit going. They just eventually thought, you know what? Life's so good. We have all that we need. God's not going to let anything bad happen to us, surely. So we're just going to forget about him. And that's what they did. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. And they... Completely forsake the Lord, so we 've read about that, how they were completely they were corrupt, they were given unto idols, but God raised up a prophet to bring them back didn 't he? His name was Samuel Samuel was a powerful voice and leader, called the nation back to renew its faith, and uh, they begin to overcome their enemies, they begin to pray, they begin to prosper, and their faith was restored. but a small group of people begin to push back at this idea that God would be their king and that they should rely on God. People wanted a different kind of leader. They wanted a living, breathing, fleshly king. And uh, Samuel warns them, hey, that's not God's plan. That's not good. If you go after a king, you're going to turn away from God. And no, no, no. We can have it both ways. We can have a king and we can have God. And Samuel says, I don't think you realize what your nature is. If you have a king, you're going to completely forsake the Lord. And that's what happens. They get Saul... The king that was handsome, that was tall, that was powerful, that was successful, that was rich. And he brings, and and, and initially, initially the nation begins to to boom and and, and they begin to grow uh, financially. and, and, And they are filled with pride and patriotism. And Saul becomes a hero. Saul becomes the story. But Samuel's watching all this go down. And his heart is breaking. And God is watching all this go down and his heart is breaking. And here's what Samuel knows. Saul might be a great man, a powerful man, a rich man, a handsome man, but he's still just a man. And men and women, but men are imperfect and imperfect people will do imperfect things. And if you put all your faith in them, they will let you down, and they will lead you astray. And that's what happens with the nation of Israel. So Saul, uh, right out the gate, uh, he uh, he begins to make some bad decisions. It brings the nation of Israel into a bad situation. And we read last week how Samuel told them at Inauguration Day, y'all have forsook the Lord, you've put your faith in this man, it's not going to end well for you. And, and you, there's a little bit remorse if you read the story, chapter 12 of 1 Samuel. They're a little bit nervous because they realize, hey, we have turned away from God. But they kind of don't care at that point because they always wanted the king. They always wanted what Saul was. And they thought, you know what? We're just going to see how this works out for us. And we hope it works out good. But maybe if, we, if it doesn't, maybe God will bail us out. Hopefully he will. So, if you have uh, your Bible still open, turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel chapter 14. And here's where we jump into the story. Um, Saul has been leading for a few years, and he is drunk with power. Uh, He's in over his head. He's pushed Samuel out of the picture, uh, and the enemies of Israel have regrouped, and now they are vying for an attack because the nation has turned away from God, and they're not unified like they were under Samuel. Um, So Saul secretly leaves the country. He retreats because he has no idea what he's doing, and he doesn't really care. He realizes he's in over his head. Uh, And the army and leaders are worried if, if the nation finds out that Saul has just took a vacation during the middle of an invasion, which is essentially what would happen, that the leader of the country has... De- has, has, has abdicated the throne. Nobody knows this, right? Imagine this happening in today's world. It would be all over social media, all over the news. Some people would be defending it. Some people would be using it as, a, as, a, as the end of the world, right, politically. We, we know how that works. But Saul sees an invasion coming and he just leaves the country. So all eyes turn to his son, Jonathan. Jonathan is the prince of Israel. We haven't heard much about Jonathan at this point in the story. But Jonathan is uh, the de facto leader for this moment in time. And here's what Jonathan knows. At any given moment, when there's a crucial decision to make, you can make no decision, you can make a bad decision, or you can make the best decision that's available to you. And in this moment, Jonathan teaches us a valuable, valuable lesson of how to rely on God and make the best decision, make the right decision, make the godly decision. And I think it prepares us for the moments that we come up to and that we might not realize are upon us in any given moment. So Jonathan's thinking, do we stand still? Do we just wait for Saul? Do we run like Saul ran? Or is there another option? 1 Samuel 14, this is what the text says. Now, it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, "'Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison, that it is on the other side.' But he did not tell his father. His father, Saul, was sitting in the outskirts of Gabeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron, which is code word for he's own vacation." Uh, the people who were with him were about 600 men. So Saul didn't just go on vacation. He went on vacation with a, with a, a force to protect him because um, he didn't want nobody messing up his day off. And he knew what was going on. He knew what was on the line. He didn't care. Verse 3. Ahijah, the son of At- Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phineas, the son of Eli... This is how you know the Bible's inspired because it tells us every little bit of information because it wants us to know these are real people. This is real people that really played a role in the story. The Lord's priest in Shiloh, that's Eli's uh, who Eli was was wearing an ephod, but the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Between the passage by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side, and the name of one was Bozes and the name of the other was Sinan. These are two pillars, two monuments that would have been in the land. The front one of one faced northward opposite of Michmash, the other southward opposite of Gabeah. So they're kind of hidden. The point of this is that, that nobody, really knows, um, nobody really knows what's on the other side. Nobody really knows what kind of battle they're about to face. And they're hidden enough um, that nobody can really see what the other's move is going to be. So Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of the uncircumcised, which is the Gentiles, the Philistines. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So here's what Jonathan knows. On the other side of these mountains, the Philistines are marching towards us. My dad is on vacation 100 miles the other way. He doesn't care. And in the moment, Jonathan knows, it's on me. Now, nobody had appointed Jonathan for this. Nobody had said, Jonathan, you got to do this. Jonathan just felt the weight of the moment. He felt the pressure of the moment. And he knows, I've got to do something. I've got to make a preemptive attack on this army. They're resting. They're coming our way. But they don't realize that we are prepared for them. They think they're going to sneak up on us. So we've got to sneak up on them first. And notice those words he uses. It may be or perhaps the Lord Will work for us. So Jonathan arrives at the scene and he says, you know what? I know we can't do nothing because if we do nothing, the enemy is going to overtake us. If we sit still and put our heads in the sands, if we do nothing, we're going to lose eventually. If we do what my dad has done, if we just hide... If we just run away, what good does that do? We might save ourselves, but we're not going to save the nation. But then there's God's way. We don't know everything about God's way, but we know enough about God's way that that is where God is. And if God is the way, if God will make a way, we know we can't stand still. We know if we stand still, we'll suffer. If we turn aside, we'll struggle. But if we turn towards God, we will be secure and we will succeed. Now, here's the thing. There was a lot on the line if Jonathan were to do this. There was no security in stepping out on faith, there's no, there's no guarantee that it's going to work out the way you thought it was going to work. Jonathan doesn't have all the, plan, all the details. He doesn't have all the understanding. But he says, hey, let's go face the enemy. Let's go defend our nation. Let's do the right thing. Let's do the God thing. And let's let him sort it out. Now, here's the thing. Jonathan had no Bible. He had no spiritual counsel. The nation was far from God. But he knew. He knew. God who pardoned Israel. God who parted the Red Sea. God who provided in the wilderness. God will take care of us. And if we are in God's hands, we are in good hands. Does that make sense? We don't know what's on the other side of these mountains. But if we are in God's hands, we are in good hands. Perhaps the Lord will work for us perhaps now that's not a guarantee right perhaps isn't definitely perhaps isn't i know perhaps is i hope but let's talk about where we are tonight because we are on the other side of the cross and what does that tell us about god not we don't have to hope that god's going to be on our side jonathan says perhaps he will save but we know that god saves don't we Romans 5.8 says that God proves his love for us, that Christ has died for us. The cross is not perhaps, the cross is definitely, right? That God has loved us and God does favor us and that God will provide for us. So for Jonathan, it was a perhaps God will move. For us, we know that God will move. We know that God is going to move. But here's the thing. It's still the same same amount of pressures on us. Because Jonathan didn't know if God was going to be on the other side of that, but he stepped out on faith. You and I, we know better. We we have the proof, but that doesn't mean it makes it easy, does it? Because it still requires faith. Jonathan was putting faith in something that he didn't know was going to happen. You and I have to put faith in something that we know has happened that God has provided, God has moved, that God has stepped in. But we might not get to see that activated in our life. We might not get to experience that provision unless we do what Jonathan did, step out on faith. Stepping out on faith isn't easy. Stepping out on faith is not comfortable. I don't know where this lands with y'all. Um, I think all of us are always at a point where there's a decision to make, where there's uh, something that you need to focus on, that you need to do better, that we need to decide uh, before we wait any longer, uh, you know, as a, as a man, as a woman, as a husband, as a wife, as a, as a parent, um, as an employee. Again, we all have our enemies. We all have our obstacles. We all have decisions to make. Uh, and, and maybe you've made some poor decisions in the past, some some bad decisions in the past, and, and, and that makes you a little bit, cautious about making another decision because you don't know if you can trust yourself and and spoiler alert you you can't trust yourself You, you should trust in God Jonathan says it may be that God will work for us but Jesus says it will be that God will work for us but here's the thing about how God works First Corinthians says that God works in ways that confounds our ways. What does it say? The way of the cross is foolish, the way of the world. Because the cross says do it this way, and that's not how our flesh wants to do it. The cross says you've got to do it by faith. You've got to do it God's way. So we know, we know that God has a plan. We know that God has a will and that he he has a desire for every soul, every scene, every season. But we've got to have the boldness to say what Jonathan said, perhaps the Lord will work for us. And you and I can have the confidence to say that not just perhaps God will work for us, but we know that God will work for us for us, for nothing restrains the Lord. How often do we not step out on faith because we wonder if God's going to step in, if God's going to pull through, if God's going to provide? How many times have you and I not went that extra mile because we just think, well, I don't know, I don't know if I can, Uh, ultimately we're, we're saying, I don't know if I can trust God, right? Every single day we live at this place. Some seasons we are more, the feet's, our feet's more on the fire, right? We're we're more under pressure. Some some seasons we have the illusion of peace, the illusion of comfort. And, and, and again, political season. I'm going to bring this up every once in a while. Why do you think that every, every there has been there has never been a kingdom or a country in this world? that doesn't face constant challenge and constant setbacks? Why do you think that, even for the nation of Israel, why do you think that every kingdom that's ever existed known to man goes through these major periods of unknown uncertainty and challenges? Because we forget, and we need to be humbled, but also, also, so that we would not operate by sight, but that we'd walk by faith. If we had everything, always, all the time, given to us, handed to us, provided, you know, provided for us in our flesh, we wouldn't walk by faith, would we? We'd walk by sight. And that's no way for a god, godly person to live. Uh, there's a story over in 2 Chronicles where King Jehoshaphat says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Jonathan sets the example for us to walk by faith even when we don't know. But Jesus... Set an example for us that we can walk by faith because we know. We might not know how he's gonna work. We don't know all the details to how he's gonna work, but we know that he will work. The one thing you can always count on God doing is he's gonna work. Might not know how he's gonna do it. You might not have all the details, but God never takes a day off. He never takes a day off. So I would encourage you, underline, highlight verse number seven or verse number six. Memorize it. It may be that God will work for us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. But I want you to tweak it for yourself. Because it's not a maybe for us. It's a definitely. But the, but the requirement is the same. We've got to walk by faith if we're going to see God. Work in a major way. Hopefully this will challenge all of us, will get us all out of our comfort zones. And if you're in a place tonight where you're wondering what's the next move to make, don't stand still. Don't retreat. Keep moving forward. God promises to show up. What, 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 have we, what have we been saying on Sunday mornings? We know that God will show. We don't know much about this year, but we know God will show up. And that's enough to step out on faith over. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for always showing up. Thank you for the confidence that you give us, the peace that you give us, for the the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that helps us to follow you even when we don't know where you are leading. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And it may be that you'll move. It will be a definite that you will move and provide for us. Give us the faith we need to step out and see you make a way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.